Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Hello, and welcome to The Intelligence from The Economist. I'm your host, Ora Ogumbiyi. Every weekday, we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world. Over the many months since Russia invaded Ukraine, we've brought you frequent updates on the progress of the war. But today's show is something special. The Economist's editor-in-chief, Zani Minton Bedos, was in Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, on Friday to talk to President Volodymyr Zelensky at a conference on his country's future. Maybe you want some coffee? Coffee? You want some? Yeah? The last time they spoke was in the spring of last year, in what was Mr Zelensky's first one-on-one interview after the invasion. But a lot has changed since they last met. President Zelensky, it's great to see you. The first time we met, it was four weeks after the full-scale invasion when Arkady and I came to Kiev. Now it is more than one and a half years later. This is beginning to feel like a long war. You said recently to the people of Ukraine, we have to learn to live with this war. Today you said to many foreign partners, this is not a feature film where everything happens in one and a half hours. So my first question to you is, What do you need to do differently to win a long war? Of course, I don't want to think about very long war and I don't want to even communicate it really with the people because I have to be ready. My team have to be ready for the long war. And from point of my morale, I'm ready. Emotionally, I'm ready. But I think it will not help us with the people. It's so difficult for people because people have to, to have a dream, but it's a real dream. It's true. It's not fantastic that tomorrow we can win. Yes, it can be tomorrow or the day after tomorrow because there are some points which we really need now and we will win. So weapon, we will push Russia. If we will push them from the south, they will run. I had the same opinion about Kherson. You have to imagine that 40,000 Soldiers of Russia run away. Really run. 40,000 from Kherson because they thought that they will be in Sokol. And that is the same with the South. We understand that they are very afraid that they will be Sokol, for example, in Mariupol, in Melitopol. But it's so difficult to come to them. When they have weapons, they use C-300. They have a lot of them uncountable number we don't know and they use it and we can't people can't come to them closer because it means that you will lose thousands it's not about hundreds you will lose thousands it's not about the time long war you know 
Because when we think that the war began from 2014, it's longer than almost 600 days. It's longer, but if you don't go forward, if you don't fight, if you don't have some weapon, you stay. It's like First World War. When you stay, you lose moral, you lose emotions, you lose people, you lose brothers, sisters. It's difficult. But that is what is happening now. You have had, over the last few months, very little movement. But movement. It's important, movement. Because you are right, maybe not so speed movement on, on the south, but not everybody see that we are on the other bench in Kherson. I mean, it's artillery. Without strong weapons. So you are putting pressure on the Russians. We are press- yes, we are pressuring. And if you will look at East, what changed? During first days of the war, of this full scale, each day Russia pushed us back on the East. Each day it was. They took some cities, a lot of hundreds of villages. But nobody see, really, mostly, that we began to go forward on this. It's not to stand and go forward like in the South. It's about getting back, then stop, then begin to go forward. It's another way. I think we will have success there. But you are, and I agree, it is important that you are now making progress and making... Slow. Slow progress. Yes. And when you talk to your partners, certainly... Many partners hoped that the counteroffensive would be a decisive push, that you would push, push, push. And it looks as though it will be slower. It may take months. It may take years. How are you going to convince your partners to stay the course? And are you detecting any loss of resolve? Are you detecting nervousness from your partners? What I think, really think... I have feeling, intuition, in English it's intuition. I have a lot of that. And sometimes it helped us, helped Ukraine, and helped me very much when I made some decisions. I have intuition that some of our partners will try not to lose this moment of some slowing on counteroffensive and use it pushing us to some diplomatic way with Russia. Reading, hearing, listening, and see their eyes, which say that we'll be always with you, but I see that he's not, or she's not, or, or they are not here now. No, not with us. That is the bad moment with all of this, because Putin sees the same. That's why it's bad. Sometimes they don't understand when they wake that he feels that they begin to think about it. You've put that perfectly, and I suspect your intuition is correct, that there are partners who will be pushing you to negotiate. So how do you react to that? That is a mistake. I mean, mean the, the mistake is not the diplomacy. The mistake is diplomacy with Putin. The meaning of his word. I mean, it's nothing. He is discussing something and then he will not do. You remember the 
uh, World War II, how it was in Czech Republic, how Hitler had negotiations, even papers, even papers. But he knew before signing the papers, he knew that tomorrow he will occupy. That's why Putin is not the, he's not the subject of negotiation. It's not about Ukraine. It's about all the partners, not to live in illusion world that they negotiate with somebody. No, he has negotiation only with himself. Another thing, we, you know, we can't change our values and our position about understanding that if Russians will stay on our territory, it's never finished. This war is freeze. We don't want a frozen war. Throughout these last 18 months, you have been spectacularly good at convincing the publics of the partner countries, yeah. the publics of countries in the West, why Ukraine needs to be supported. If you are right with your intuition about some of the politicians, how will you change your message? How will you persuade the public in your partner countries that this is important to stay the course? I'm sure that Putin will make some help because he will make mistakes. He doesn't understand that in the long war he will lose because it doesn't matter what 60 or 70 percent now supports him. No, his economy will lose. How to convince other partners to believe that they are on the right side, it's pushing them by journalists, by media, pushing people. People read, people discuss, people make minds, and people push leaders. That's it. Because there is only one thing, people or money. But even money, that is, again, about people, because they need this money to raise up their economy and the level of their people. So my position was that the world has to show Putin and people of Russia that they will be isolated. It's a lot because companies begin to go away from Russia market and a lot of things. People lose their jobs and etc. Everything, all these details have influence. But do you think you are succeeding in that? If you look now at the BRICS summit in South Africa, they are expanding that group. They are having the next meeting in Kazan. Putin is playing international diplomacy and the global south is not uniting against But Putin him. was not on the BRICS. So balance. Yes, previously, Russia was the leader of BRICS and we see that it's falling down. For us now, it's important. Can I ask you about how you make your economy resilient to a longer war at home? One, one very difficult. It is difficult, but Where? one risk is that you become addicted yes. to financial assistance. Yes. yes, if United States, if UK, if European Union, if such countries will not help supporting financially our budget, for today it will be the biggest challenge for us. If they will decide to do it or to do it less than it was previously, it will be a big problem for us. But this is a problem that may happen, that you will get less support. How will you cope with that? But it's the decision, you know. 
it will not be about economy. It will be about the war. Ukraine can't fight with Russia when the world on the side of Russia. We can't do it. That is the answer. If partners will not help us, it means that we will not win. Russia will occupy us. And it's not the wars, just that everybody can say about the Baltic countries. No, they will occupy them. It will be the same what we said before Second World War and enduring. The same will be our friends from Baltic. They gave us all their weapons have, mostly. They gave us a lot when we are comparing what they have because they know it better than others. They are not sure that NATO countries, NATO armies will support them. They can't be sure because nobody checked it. And that is why Putin will go. So they will divide Europe because after the Baltic will be Poland and etc. And the question will be with whom he will divide Europe. It's interesting, I think, because some of the countries will not be agree not to give their army to help NATO countries to stay alone. I mean, somebody will not be agree. It can be the World War III. Can be. You said to me that victory is about saving as many lives as possible. How do you balance that with the goal of getting back to 1991 borders? That's why the counteroffensive goes such way difficult and slow, because all the brigades can go now and... I don't know how many thousands, dozens of thousands we will lose. Because you will not demine, you will not think what to do. It's all not about the occupation for the occupation. It's about the occupation, but not losing a lot of lives. It's not the war when the, the leader of the country say, no, doesn't matter what the price. Doesn't matter what the price, go. Tomorrow result doesn't matter. Like it was with the Soviet Union. It really was. For you, it is balancing. Balancing, always balancing. When I met with the First Lady this week, your wife, I asked her, because she was the scriptwriter on your show, I said, how do you write the script for this next chapter? And so I want to end by asking you the same question. Until we meet again, what is your script for the next few when, when, months, when years? We are, when, we, when, when we want to meet again. Whenever you invite me. <laughs> what is my script? I don't... Uh, that script. I have the plan. But I think if I will tell you the plan, Putin will have the script. <laughs> not me. I mean, that it will be public. And uh, that, that's why I'm not sure that I have to share... I, I can tell you how it can be. Yes, I can. I want to have some decisions with the uh, United States of some support. I want to do for summit, political summit, called this isolation formula this year. I hope that we will open negotiations about EU this year. It will help support moral. It's also important, very important, just not to do the moral and to give this energy for people. 
I think that we have all the chances to finish the war in 2024. I think Trump will never support Putin. I hope that uh, President Biden will not change his position, including pushing from the Congress. I think that this year of so many elections, 2024, I really think that the result will not have influence on the strongness or what they want Russia. A lot of people are afraid, but I think that it will not be such way because it's very difficult for United States for today. Really, they want Afghanistan part two or Europe. Do they really think that, I mean, that they are ready? They even can't imagine what will be with the society, their society. I think that all of these people will not forgive them. Will not forgive them, lose Ukraine. That's a powerful place to end. The people of Europe will not forgive their leaders if they lose Ukraine. Yes, I think so. That's why I think that 2024 can be a good moment for, for the end. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's clear that Ukraine is facing a host of new challenges as the war gets longer and more complex than many hoped for or expected. Militarily, upping the ante requires resources and, of course, consistent support from the West. The same can be said for economic support. And all the while, the diplomatic task is also getting harder. After their meeting with the president, Zani Minton Beddoes, The Economist's editor-in-chief, and our Eastern Europe editor, Arkady Ostrovsky, joined me for a post-interview debrief. Hi, Zani. Hi, Arkady. Hi, Ori. Good to talk to you, as always. Hi, Ori. Great to be on the show. So as you mentioned in your interview there, the two of you visited President Zelensky in March 2022, when Russian troops were still just outside the capital. How does that interview compare to this one? Oh, it was completely different. The setting, first of all, was completely different. In March 2022, when we came to see President Zelensky, it was in his bunker in a city that was empty. This time we were speaking to him on the sort of edges of a large conference full of visitors from abroad in a city that, frankly, is hopping. I mean, yes, there are air sirens, but the city feels like a booming you know, city in September, beautiful sunshine. So the setting and the city couldn't have felt more different. But actually, Zelensky himself, he was sounding determined. I think probably a little more reflective than last time when it was very much in that first heroic Ukraine coming together time of the war. Now I think he has realized, as everybody we've spoken to this week, I think is thinking that this could be a a very long haul. And I think clearly his message to us was they don't want it to be a long war. In their view, it doesn't have to be a long war if they get the weaponry they need. 
that was, to me, very much his message. Yes, I agree. And it is very, very different, isn't it, Zanny? I mean, for one thing, curfew, I think, at the time when we were here was about four or five o'clock in the afternoon and the city was completely empty. It's now midnight and people are enjoying life because life so matters here, because people understand what it actually means while being very aware of hard winter coming. And I think when we first talked to him, he was in a state of shock, as the country was, as the whole world was. In my experience, it's very rare when a politician actually listens and engages in a conversation rather than just plays you his message. And he was clearly thinking about the Western support, how he's going to persuade the West to stay the course. And I think that was the mood. And just on that topic of Western support, he did seem to dodge your question about how to prepare the Ukrainian economy to live without, or at least with less foreign support. What do you make of that? You're right, Ori. He didn't answer that question clearly. And I think there's two reasons for that. One is that I think his primary focus is still to get that external support. He's still making the case for why the West needs to keep up or possibly even increase its support. But I think it's not that he's not thinking about a plan B for if the scale of support doesn't materialize. And actually, interestingly, we didn't do the whole of this interview in English. And there were times when we changed languages and there was a much greater focus of detail. And Arkady, maybe you give a bit of a summary of that. Yes. So he talked about the new social contract that will have to emerge, the new social contract inside the country in case Western support declines. And he was very clear about it. And he said, it's not the moment to talk yet, but I am thinking about how I'm going to talk to the nation. And then he turned slightly and said, Western politicians don't know what's coming their way if they start withdrawing support from Ukraine, because I will appeal to the people and it's the electorates in Europe and in the West that will feel that their politicians have sold down Ukraine. Now, President Zelensky really tried to emphasise that progress is being made at the front line, even if it's slower progress than they'd like. But he also said that he thought the war could end in 2024. Tell me, how realistic is that timeline? So I think my honest answer is, I don't know. (laughs) It is true that they are making progress, incremental progress, but clearly much less progress than people expected at the beginning of this counteroffensive. It's also true that with more weaponry, more heavy weaponry, a lot could be achieved, probably not over the winter, but in 2024. But one of the shifts in approach that I gauged this week was that it is not just a question of progress at the front, but increasingly there is a focus on degrading Russia's capabilities. Already, as you know, Ori, there have been reports of Ukrainian drones, although not officially confirmed, but there have been reports of Ukrainian drones hitting far into Russia. And I think it's clear to us that that capability is growing. And as that capability scales up, I think there's going to be much more of a focus on deterring Russia, degrading Russia's capability. And so it will no longer just be a conversation about what's happening you know, in Robotinia or what's happening on the Eastern Front. It'll be also that second aspect. Will it end up in a victory in 2024? I have no idea. Yeah, and I think there's also a question of what victory means and how do you define it? Do you define it in terms of territory or preservation of Ukrainian lives? But this incremental progress is very, very important for morale of Ukraine, that the war continues, that they are making progress. But what we don't know is what effect those strikes 
are going to have on Russian politics, on Russian society, on support for this war. We know a lot more about Ukraine. Social cohesion is still very strong here. We know a lot less about Russia. And Russia, what we have seen, can be very, very brittle. And at what point what looks stable suddenly starts crumbling, we don't know. Zani, Arkady, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Ori. It's great to join you, as always. Thank you very much, Ori. That's all for this episode of The Intelligence. We've got some news for you if you're a subscriber. The Economist app now has a dedicated tab for this show and for all of our other podcasts. It's the easiest way to tune in every single day. And if you're not a subscriber to The Economist, you really are missing out. Join us. Get a free 30-day digital subscription by going to economist.com slash intelligence offer. The link, as usual, is in the show notes. We'll see you back here tomorrow. With the highest number of young STEM graduates per capita in the EU, Ireland has the people and skills your company needs to succeed here. IDA Ireland, the National Investment Development Agency, can help you find and nurture the people you need to internationalise and thrive. Our talent is just one of the extraordinary benefits Ireland has to offer. Learn more at idaireland.com. Invest in Extraordinary.